In 2009, Jeff Almer was preparing to speak before a congressional hearing. He was there because of his mother, Shirley May. Jeff grew up in Minnesota. He's one of five kids. In 2008, his mom, Shirley May, was recovering from cancer. It had started in her lungs and then moved to her brain. She had some struggles, but she effectively beat cancer twice, a couple years in a row. She was doing well, but around Thanksgiving, Shirley started to feel ill again. But this time, the cause was something easily treatable, a urinary tract infection. She was expected to be all better by Christmas. But the week before, the doctors informed Jeff and his siblings that his mother had sepsis. It's a potentially life-threatening condition brought on by your body working really hard to fight an infection and, in the process, hurting itself. And we thought that was really unusual. And they had to bring her back to the hospital from the rehab. Shirley's kids were all taking turns, coming to sit with her. They still expected her to be home in time for the holidays. That weekend, Jeff didn't hear from his sister one day. They had agreed to only call if it was bad news. So Jeff was feeling optimistic. But then he did get a call. And my sister called me that morning and I was stunned to hear that the doctors didn't expect her to last that day. So she had just really spiraled down quickly. Shirley May died on December 21st, 2008. There was fluid in her lungs. Jeff and his siblings thought it was pneumonia, but her death certificate said what the doctors had told them earlier, sepsis. And I know when they first diagnosed it, they didn't, they were unclear as to how that would have happened as well. How did she get that? No one had answers, but then the family did receive a phone call from the Minnesota Department of Health calling to ask about what Shirley May ate while she was at the rehab facility. Folks at the facility had apparently been sick and they were just trying to do their due diligence. My mother was eating chicken and peanut butter toast primarily, two good protein sources. And that was the end of that for a few days until I read the Minneapolis paper. And in that paper, there was a little blurb from the Associated Press that said a northern Minnesota, 72 years old, died from salmonella poisoning. Which was weird. The description seemed eerily similar to Shirley May's case. So my sister called back the Department of Health and the gal she spoke with originally had told her, I'm sorry you have to hear it this way, but that's your mother they're reporting on in the newspaper. So that's how we found out she died from salmonella. As you can imagine, Jeff and his family were furious. First of all, why weren't we told this from somebody? Why do we have to find this out just because we noticed something in the paper and called somebody else? So now we're mad at, you know, the system or whatever you want to call it. And Shirley wasn't the only one poisoned. At the end of 2008, hundreds of people were getting sick with salmonella, a bacteria that can be found in contaminated food. Half of the infected were kids. Some folks were hospitalized due to severe illness. Nine of them died. The outbreak infected people all across the United States. But what they had in common was what they ate. Peanut butter. 
This peanut butter and other peanut products came out of the plant of one company, the Peanut Corporation of America. And once people started looking into the company, well, what they found was pretty disturbing. Suddenly, what seemed like a series of mistakes at the heart of one of the largest foodborne illness outbreaks in American history was revealed to be something much more sinister. I'm Alzo Slade. From something else, this is Cheap, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, shipping salmonella, how the head of a peanut processing company ended up causing one of the largest food poisoning outbreaks in American history. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In January 2009, the Peanut Corporation of America, or PCA, initiated one of the largest recalls in history. Over 3,600 products were pulled for fear of salmonella contamination. Jeff and his family reached out to a food safety lawyer about his mother's case. The lawyer told them this could be a clear case of negligence, PCA not taking the proper steps to ensure its products were safe. My mom beats cancer and and dies in this manner, that's just not right. It's probably happened to other people. So not only did I want to help, but it also kept my mind occupied. Jeff started to get involved with food safety advocacy organizations. He also started looking at different legislation as well. There's a bunch of complicated, archaic food regulations in this country, including a weird division of responsibilities between the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That makes oversight a little confusing. One of the other things I had researched, I recall, was pizzas. Cheese pizzas were inspected by the FDA, and pepperoni pizza was inspected by the USDA. And there were little things like that just seemed ridiculous to me. So that got me turned on to the whole thought of having a bill introduced into Congress that has more inspections, better protections for the consumers. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration inspected PCA facilities, and what they found was pretty bad. The plant conditions were gross. Some of the things the FDA noted, bad sanitation, roaches, leaks in the roof, which meant dirty water or bird feces could drip on the peanut products. And in one plant, dead mice dotted the floor. It was like this place just rolled out the red carpet for a salmonella outbreak. The FDA wasn't the only one looking into PCA. Congress has some questions for the people involved in this tangled mess as well. This included Jeff and those who had been harmed by the outbreak. And of course, they wanted to talk to the president of the company, Stuart Parnell. I recall when we left for the hearing, we were at the airport, and one of the monitors had a news station on, and they showed the FBI raiding the offices of Peanut Corp. And that was the first inkling or notion I had 
that something was wrong besides negligence with that company. So it wasn't until the next day during the hearing where I found out just how wrong it was. When Jeff got to the hearing, he saw Parnell there too. But PCA's chief executive refused to speak. And I listened to that guy repeatedly plead the Fifth Amendment. He wouldn't answer any questions. A couple of different congressmen posed their questions to the PCA president, including then-Congressman Greg Walden from Oregon. And it was kind of dramatic. He brought out a bunch of products from Peanut Corp and had them in crime scene tape, which was brilliant, and asked Stewart if he'd like to eat any of them. So in the video of the hearing, this dude Walden is holding up a big glass container that's wrapped in yellow caution do not touch tape. Inside is a bunch of PCA peanut products. I just wonder, do any of you be willing to take the lid off and eat any of these products now? Like the people who on the panel ahead of you, their relatives, their loved ones did? This is genius. This is like the scene from Erin Brockovich when she asked the lawyers to drink the water from the contaminated well in Hinkley. But Parnell, he's not having it. He doesn't miss a beat. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, on the advice of my counsel, I respectfully decline to answer your question based on the protection afforded me under the United States Constitution. For the first time, Jeff was in the same room as the man at the helm of the company responsible for his mother's death. And he wanted answers. But when Stewart refused to give them, Jeff could barely contain his anger. I was super mad (laughs) that somebody put all those lives at risk in the name of a buck. And now here he is, and he won't answer a single question. So it's frustrating to listen to and see. But there was something else Jeff heard at the hearing that same day that made him even more angry. Something that suggested PCA wasn't just being lazy and overlooking safety and sanitary protocols. The Congressional Committee revealed some of what the FBI had found at the PCA facility. It turned out they found more than just filthy and dangerous plant conditions. What initially seemed like negligence was starting to look a whole lot worse. We're going to get to it after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise. The island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Peanut Corporation of America was a small family-owned business. Hugh Parnell started the company in Virginia in 1977, selling peanuts to ice cream makers. Over time, he expanded the operations to include all sorts of peanut products. Not just peanut butter, but roasted peanuts, chopped peanuts, even a peanut paste. Which, to me, sounds like peanut butter. But 
Making these peanut products for humans and pets, the company supplied food manufacturers that range from small family businesses to massive food companies. Kellogg, Sarah Lee, Little Debbie's, they even worked with the federal government. Nursing homes and schools bought PCA products. For a small company, they had a huge reach. I mean, just think about all the peanut butter you eat. Peanut butter jelly sandwiches? Well, let me speak for myself. As a kid, I'd eat them all the time. But I'm a grown-ass man now, and I still will make a PBJ sandwich as a quick snack. Even as lunch, if I'm honest, don't judge. All this to say, this is a massive industry. PCA had three processing plants, one in Virginia, Texas, and Georgia. As a family business, Hugh Sons eventually took over the company. Stewart was president and CEO. His brother, Michael, was VP and handled the contracts with other companies. The big part of the PCA product just went, like, everywhere. This is food safety lawyer Bill Marler. Went into everything that you could ever think of that had peanuts or peanut butter in. Granola bars, little crackers that, you know, you buy in vending machines that last for 3,000 years. I don't know about 3,000 years, but I definitely have some peanut butter crackers that have been in my pantry for quite some time. Bill's been working on food safety cases for a while now. And when the salmonella outbreak started at the end of 2008, families of the people who died asked him to take their cases. And he did. He was looking into PCA at the same time as the FDA and the FBI. We were there probably within days of the FBI and the Office of Criminal Investigation already being there and, frankly, raiding and taking most of the documents from the facility already. This was becoming a pretty big case. All eyes were on PCA, the Parnell brothers, and their plant managers. And there would be an opportunity to hear from some of them at this congressional hearing, the same one that Jeff Almer was going to. I was the first victim to speak. With me was Lou Tuzanow, also from Minnesota, His dad died from peanut butter, and his dad was a two-time Purple Heart winner in the Korean War, I believe. And alongside him was Peter Hurley, a police officer from Oregon, whose son Jake was sickened by the peanut butter from peanut butter crackers. But before Jeff could read his prepared statement, the Congress members opened the hearing with some information about PCA that was new to Jeff. And now I knew why the FBI had raided their offices. It's a policy of the subcommittee. Turns out the investigations revealed some pretty damning emails from Stuart Parnell, the company president. And from the emails once a week. And some of those emails were being read aloud at the hearing. I remember the first email was something where he was notified from a worker there that their product had tested positive. And he said, quote, shit, just ship it. I go through this about once a week. Mr. Parnell, I want to ask you about an email you sent to your employees. To be clear here, the product is testing positive for salmonella once a week. But no, Stuart, the president, can't be bothered by this diarrhea, fever, and even death-causing bacteria. I'm afraid I don't understand. As he said in the email, just ship it. Just ship out those poison peanuts. No big deal, right? Other quotes were, I'll hold my breath again. And I was just floored. I I was angry. I wanted to find that guy and, and give him a beat down like nobody's ever given him in his life. 
What's crazy is that in other emails, Parnell complained about how much money the shipment delays and salmonella testing was costing him. He continued to send out batches of peanut product, even after he was made aware that some of the batch tested positive for salmonella, writing to his team saying, Turn them loose. And I thought, I remember turning to Lou while they were going through those emails. And my actual quote was, this son of a bitch is going to be in prison in about two months. They're sending emails back and forth with this information. That's pretty bold or pretty stupid or both. It's all in writing. Concrete evidence that the head of this company was made aware of contaminated products and still sending them out anyways. And the motive wasn't that hard to guess either, since Stewart spelled it out himself. It was all about the money. That blew my mind. It floored me. I I had no idea that somebody was that greedy. Because like I said, you know, we thought it was negligence. PCA took other steps too, not to correct the contamination problem, but to cover up the positive test. This would eventually all come to light in the trial that followed these investigations. You see, PCA had to provide certifications of analysis that the product that they were sending their customers was free of salmonella and other pathogens. Like most testing, it's not a perfect science. You'd have to test all the food for a pathogen in order to know that it was negative. And if you tested all of the food, you wouldn't have any food to eat because you would have tested it all. This is food safety lawyer Bill Marler again. So you come up with some rough, scientifically-based strategies to test a lot. There are requirements around how much and how often to test. PCA would send their product to one lab, but then they started getting a lot of positive tests back, as in positive for salmonella or other pathogens. So what do they do? They're like, "Mm mm-mm, we're going to start sending out samples to multiple labs. And the way testing works is just because you pulled it all from the same lot doesn't mean that all the tests are going to be positive or all the tests are going to be negative. And so what they would do is some tests would come back positive and some tests would come back negative. They'd use the negative test as their certificates of analysis and then ship the product. Ah, okay. So I get it. Not every single peanut in a contaminated batch is going to be poisonous. So if you get enough samples tested, you're bound to get test results that are okay, even from a shipment that's got bird feces and God knows what else infecting it. So PCA would just send off batches using the negative certificates they received, ignoring the positive results. But things started getting so bad that the little trick stopped working. And then at some point, they were getting all the tests were positive, and then they just started forging them. And sending them as all negative. Making fake documents that said their product was good to eat when, in actuality, it was full of pathogens. When the outbreak happened and FBI and everybody came in and started looking at it, they were, like, realizing, like, oh, shit, these people were forging documents. And it's all in writing. I think because texting and emails have become just the way we communicate. I think that people don't necessarily think about that that's going to create a paper trail. And it was the paper trail that got the Parnells. Since Stewart certainly wasn't saying anything at the hearing, his past words 
spoke for him. Mr. Parnell, is it your intent to refuse to answer all of our questions today based on your right against self-incrimination afforded to you under the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution? Yes. It was bad. Really, really bad. And for folks like Jeff, who lost their loved ones due to this food outbreak, it was awful to hear that the company shipped out the contaminated products knowingly. And they wanted justice. But they'd have to wait for a bit. The investigation and the congressional hearing was in 2009. There wouldn't be a trial for a few more years. In the meantime, Jeff started working with Bill Marler, who was representing other victims' families. He kept the conversation going about food safety measures. He got a meeting with the DOJ to advocate for next steps. He even kept an eye on some of Stewart's activities. Parnell was now consulting for another food company, and I found that egregious. So I worked with an AP reporter, and I exposed it nationally. Parnell was featured in an article from his hometown paper in which he bemoaned the government investigation. But no matter how much he complained about it, it was too late. Because in February of 2013, Jeff got a call. My contact at AP called me and said, don't get too excited, but the Justice Department has sent out a notice that they're going to have a press conference related to food safety today. And that's when the indictments came out. It was a 76-count indictment. Stewart, his brother Michael, and a few PCA employees were being charged with a whole range of crimes related to the intentional distribution of contaminated product. And that was such a good feeling, you know? So that was another two years later, now four years after the investigation started. And as you know, the trial didn't start until the summer of 2014. By 2014, the Peanut Corporation had long closed. They filed for bankruptcy in the aftermath of the 2009 recall and then shuttered permanently. But the story wasn't over yet. They still had to face the judge. More on that after the break. Jeff and some of the other victims' families were asked to speak at the trial. Even after his statement, Jeff continued going to the courtroom during the trial so the Parnell family would see him there. Whenever I showed up, they would give me evil looks, sneer, and I I actually kind of fed off of that, you know? I always tried to make sure that they saw me, too. I didn't care. You know, you guys killed my mom. You know, what are you going to, what else are you going to do? It was a pretty clear-cut case for the prosecution. There were the emails as evidence, and the prosecuting attorney got some PCA employees to flip and provide more information on the scheme. Not to mention all that shit, literally. The bird droppings, dead mice, and all that the inspectors found in the factory. But despite the overwhelming evidence, the Parnells never expressed any real remorse for their actions. When Stewart got up to address the courtroom, He was right in front of us. The victim's families. So we had his back to us. And he he didn't even turn around fully to apologize. He did kind of a half turn and said, like, I suppose I should apologize to these guys. So it wasn't like it wasn't even heartfelt or believable. At one point, the Parnell sister had to be removed from the courtroom for interrupting proceedings. Jeff describes how she showed copies of his mother's death certificate to people outside the courtroom, 
saying it was blood poisoning, not food that killed her. Mm, yeah, but what caused the blood poisoning? The Parnell's mom got in a fight with an FBI agent in the bathroom. Now, I try not to sit in judgment about the folks we cover on this show, but interrupting the court, showing death certificates of victims while their grieving relatives are present, and trying to beat up FBI agents? This is just downright foolish. Just own it. Your family ran a dirty-ass, bacteria-infested, contaminated factory that you knew had salmonella, but chose to ignore it. Stop with the dramatics and accept that you got burned by putting profit over people. In the end, Stewart, his brother, and two PCA employees were convicted. Stewart was the first executive to be convicted of a federal felony in a foodborne illness case. The entire time, Stewart maintained his innocence. And for Jeff, what bothered him most was that there was no expression of anything that felt remotely sincere from Stewart or his brother. I can forgive people for making mistakes, but when you don't even claim you made them or own up to your actions, I have a hard time forgiving somebody for that. Sure, it's probably not a good idea to own your actions necessarily while you're on trial. It'd be an admission of guilt. But Jeff and the other families never even got a proper, honest apology. And then the sentencing came around in 2015. The judge gave Stuart Parnell 28 years, which is probably the longest sentence to date in a food poisoning case. Stuart's brother Michael got 20 years. As the judge said, these acts were driven simply by the desire to profit. This is commonly and accurately referred to as greed. I have no doubt that Stuart Parnell went to church every Sunday. Bill Marler again. I have no doubt that he loves his wife and kids and all that. I have no doubt that that's the case. And I'm not certainly not excusing him from doing this. But, I mean, this is why we have regulation and why we have laws. And, and frankly, uh, why we have lawyers like me doing what I do. It's because there are times where even people who view themselves as good do really stupid and bad things and need to be held accountable. There's no doubt that Stewart and Michael were guilty in this case, but there are other parties who are implicated as well. There was a real lack of FDA and other state inspections of the plant that potentially could have caught this scheme of defrauding you know, their customers and the public, they could have caught that there were all these positives but had become now negative tests. So it was a failure across multiple levels. This is why we got to have some sort of oversight. If no one's paying attention to the quality of the food that people are eating, then that's how you get contaminated products going out to 46 states. Perhaps the only good thing that came out of it was it really sort of galvanized Congress's desire to try to prevent something like this from happening again. And that's much of this respect, the, the, the genesis of the Food Safety Modernization Act. And the Food Safety Modernization Act, which was signed in law in 2011, changed the way the government approaches food poisoning cases, which is pretty good considering about 48 million Americans, one in six, get sick from something they ate each year. But the act gave the FDA a lot more authority to oversee food production and attempt to prevent outbreaks of food poisoning, 
instead of dealing with them after the fact, which is just as well because you don't have to be as bad as the peanut corporation of America to do a lot of harm. I think it's thankful that at least at this stage, humans aren't collectively all as bad as Stuart and his brother, thankfully, uh, or we'd see a lot more of it. But it's almost as concerning to me that you can sort of go, oh, we've been using this water for 50 years. Yeah, it's it's risky and causes problems, but man, it's going to be a pain if I have to change. And that's a different, it's a different kind of evil But, you know, frankly, the outcomes can wind up being exactly the same. And those outcomes are pretty serious ones. Sometimes it's your basic norovirus when you're super sick for 24 hours. But other times it can land you in the hospital or even kill you. And the thought that it can be something as innocuous as peanut butter that will do you in just because someone out there is trying to make a buck. Look, I'm not saying you shouldn't trust people. The only way our world works is by trusting each other. Whether we're trusting someone not to drive over the yellow line or to not ship out food contaminated with salmonella. Because we still need to get places and we still need to eat. But we know now that it's possible to reach a level of greed where you think of people as an abstraction and therefore treat them as one. It's not as if we're saying all rich people are bad, but greed. It's a filthy animal that can rear its ugly head when it's not checked. That means we need systems in place to make sure that when people err, knowingly or unknowingly, it's caught before someone gets seriously hurt. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat, Mom's Secret Illness a life-shattering discovery and the story of an upbringing built on deceit. My mum had written diaries when I was growing up and I didn't know about this. And when she died, I'd kept the diaries thinking that maybe I'd look at them one day. And about two years after her death, I decided to start reading them. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Ennis Bowen. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.